going to ask you to pray with me, if you would, please, as we, as we begin. I got a text um, in between the services just a few minutes ago from um, our daughter, Abby, and um, her husband, Ryan, and their, their Vishla, uh, Bear, is the dog's name, B-E-X-A-R, Bear. Um, and they had just come out of uh, South Dakota or nearing South Dakota, out of Montana, uh, Sheridan, Wyoming. And she texted and said, we're, we're watching the service today as we're driving. All over the country, all around this region, but literally around the world, a miracle of technology makes it possible for the Alamo City family to just expand and to be in all kinds of places. I'm not so sure that I have a real firm grip on this, this term church membership as if it's some kind of a legal entity where I've I've signed up for here, and I'm duty-bound to be in this place, and I, if I ever go by another church, I can't even look at it because I'm loyal here. I, 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 just, I, just, don't, I just don't see that in the New Testament, but here, here's, what I, here's what I do sense. I, I sense that there will be places, there will be congregations where our hearts are drawn, it's a home for our heart. Now, that may change. You may get moved to another city or something may happen and it shifts. But, but it's where your heart is at home, where your heart, and not so much where's my church membership, but where, where's, where's my church home, meaning the home for my heart. And, and there are just some pretty phenomenal things happening as, as we've expanded the broadcasts from this place and not spending millions and millions of dollars trying to be on TV, but, but the social media opportunities have, have just really exploded. And folks, we, we regularly hear from many of you who are out there that are not able to be in this room uh, that, that something is happening that blesses you and, and you're connected. I just, I just want to say that, that, that where there is a sense that your heart is at home, your heart is at home, then, then go with that. You, you don't have to give money. You don't have to declare, you know, you're this, that, or the other. But just for this reason, for this point in time, for this season, my heart seems to be at home with that group called Alamo City. And, and we welcome you. We welcome in the room. Amen. We can hug each other's physical necks and hear each other's physical voices. But I'm I just want us to be aware that there is, there is a large, large, wonderful group of folks scattered all over the place who feel like we do in this room that for some reason Alamo City, this place, is, is, our, is our home. It's the home for our heart. Amen? You know, and so, so as, we, as we acknowledge the ones that we may not see physically in this room, we do that by design. We, we do that because we... We want you to know we sense that unity of heart with you. And, you know, the Scripture says in heaven we will be known even as we are known. That means how you'll be able to walk up to David, King David, and be able to say, hey, David, how you doing? You know, and he'll know you, and he'll say, well, hey, how are you? We'll, we'll, have, we'll know even as we are known. There'll be some relationships that we have not had down here because we just haven't been able to be physically present with each other. But somehow when we meet up yonder, we're going to know each other. And that, that's just something to really look forward to. Well, let me, let's go back to the place of prayer. Lord, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for the way that you are gathering around yourself and at your feet a group of folks who for whatever reason just are having a sense that that the home for their heart at this point in time is this, is this gathering of folks we call Alamo City. But Lord, beyond that, it's not us, it's you. It, it, it's not us, it's your word. It, it's not us, it's your spirit. And, and we acknowledge that, rejoice in that. And the, the Lord, the sense today is, is, 
not unlike other Sundays, but, but especially today, there, there is a word, there is a word of encouragement for a specific group of folks within the family of God that, that Lord, if we have ears to hear, things can change and our, our whole perspective can become brighter and, and hope alive uh, afresh and our hearts can become a reality. So what will you do that? Will you take this word wherever it needs to go and would you have gathered into this circle of the ones of us who are listening together that you'll gather in the ones who you want to be a part of this circle this morning and we praise you and we thank you. Come Holy Spirit. There's an old song that says, Come Holy Spirit, heavenly dove, with all thy quickening power with all thy life-giving power. And we say amen to the words of that song, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want you to find your way to the book of Acts. Is there any surprise that we might end up in Acts again this morning? But Acts chapter 2. We'll pick up where we left off last week. Simon Peter has been preaching and um, he doesn't have he doesn't have a bible to read from he doesn't have any notes that he's speaking from evidently but filled with the spirit the spirit of the lord is giving him what to say and moving him emotionally and how to say it and the wonderful thing is that just what jesus said would happen when the spirit came that the spirit would convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment it'd be the Holy Spirit who would do the convicting. That wasn't Peter the preacher's job. That's not your job, not my job. That's the work of the Spirit. If somebody's supposed to be convicted of sin, convicted of something wrong, or convicted of something to do that's right, that's going to be the work of the Lord by His Spirit, and, and we don't bear that burden. So all Simon Peter was doing was just opening his mouth, and the Lord was giving him what to say. And a part of what he says is found in verse 25, Acts chapter 2, verse 25. For David says of him, I was always beholding the Lord in my presence, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore... My heart was glad, and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will abide in hope, because thou wilt not abandon my soul to Hades or to hell, nor allow thy Holy One to undergo decay. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou wilt make, make me full of gladness with thy presence. Now this is an excerpt out of the Old Testament by design. The Apostle Peter realized that he was speaking primarily to a Jewish audience. The Jewish way of understanding the Scripture is that the book of the law and the Psalms and the prophets were to be treated as the words of God. Peter is here saying that this one named Jesus of Nazareth, whom we have seen raised from the dead. He was crucified, speaking to the group. You had a part in his crucifixion because you turned him over to the Romans to do what the Jewish leadership thought ought to happen. He needed to be put to death, crucified as a criminal. And he would go on to say, Peter would later at another message that he believed that the leaders didn't realize what they were doing, that they were putting to death the Prince of Life. They were putting to death the Messiah. But the Messiah had to come and had to die in order for the sins of people to be atoned for. Without the shedding of blood, there would be no remission of sin. And he would say that it was prophesied that the Messiah would die, would come, and he would die for the sins of people. But then he's using this section out of David's writing in Psalm 16 to say it was prophesied, it was declared 
that the Messiah would, yes, be crucified, but he would also be raised from the dead. And he's specifically focusing on that line, Thou wilt not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow thy Holy One to undergo decay. That was the main point of his message, that Jesus as the Messiah has been raised from the dead just as it was prophesied that he would be raised from the dead. That's the main point. The the powerful preaching of the resurrection of Christ, heart and central to the message of the good news that is ours in Christ. Yes, that Satan tried to kill him. Sin tried to crush him and keep him dead. But he was raised from the dead because he had satisfied the demands of the law that without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sin and the wages of sin is death. He satisfied the law. He met the requirements of the law. Therefore, he was raised from the dead. And all who put their faith and trust in him also have their requirements of the law satisfied in the death of Jesus Christ for their sins. That's where he's going. That's the point. But in the process of doing that, as he alludes to this passage in in, in the Old Testament, and in particular in the Psalms, He's given us some insight, folks, into what it means to live a life filled with the Spirit. What what it will be, what, what what it will be like for someone filled with the Spirit of Jesus, which is what would continue on to be a major point of Simon Peter's message, that, that what's happening here, the, these people speaking in languages that, that they've never spoken before of the great things of God, speaking of, of what the Lord had done in Christ, and all of that is the result of the Spirit being poured out, as Joel chapter 2 had prophesied. So all this is woven together. He's talking about the resurrection of Jesus, but as a result of the resurrection of Jesus, having been highly exalted to the right hand of the Father, he, Jesus, has poured out the Spirit, the evidence of which you both see and hear. The, the, the point being, what's going on here is fulfillment of Joel chapter 2 and fulfillment of Psalm chapter 16 and a whole bunch of other places where Jesus satisfied the requirement of the law. He was raised from the dead on the basis of that. He's been exalted, given a name like no other name, and he has poured forth, poured out his spirit into ordinary people so that ordinary people with, 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 with just ordinary strength can now operate in the strength of God in their lives and having the mind of Christ available to them and the peace of the Lord working in their heart and the absence of fear because they understand no one is greater than the Lord who lives within them and that one day they will meet him face to face. But in the meantime, he is in charge of the circumstances of their lives and they we can rest in him. So we come back to this, this first starting point. I know we spent some time on it last week, but I, I want to read it again and maybe press a little bit further. David says of him, I was always beholding the Lord in my presence. All right, here, let me ask you a question. How many of you got a text of any kind this week? Would you raise your hand? Got a text. Got a text on your phone. That's most of us, a lot of us. How many of you got an email? Got an email, came to you, dressed to you. Now, don't anybody get mad at me. I'm not trying to be sacrilegious or, you know, don't throw a 40-pound purse up here at me and, you know, and try to hurt the preacher. In a sense, this is an email from the Lord, a compilation of emails from the Lord. Every word of it's true. All of it is reliable information. It's pertinent. It's relevant. It's accurate. But it's still words on a page. What's the difference between emails and the person who wrote the email being in your presence? What's the difference? between reading a text from somebody and the person who wrote the text being right there next to you. I was always beholding the Lord in my presence. 
It's different than saying, I was always reading the Bible. As accurate, as true, as wonderful, as, as, as informational and, and, as the Bible can be. It's different to say, I was always sensing the Lord's presence than it is to say, I was always reading his word. One is not wrong. The emails are not wrong. But folks, the day of Pentecost didn't have to happen. If all the Lord ever intended for us to know were the words on the pages in his email to us. It's as if, and David is foreshadowing this, and in the old covenant, it would, the spirit of the Lord would come upon people for periods of time for the accomplishing of specific missions, but then the spirit would lift. That all was supposed to have changed. And that's what Peter was trying to say to folks. This Jesus, who was crucified, buried and raised again. He's not dead any longer. We've seen him alive. But in addition to that, it's not just the fact that he is alive, the amazing, powerful fact that he is alive. Here's what he did once he got to living again. He went to his father and he received from the father the promise of the father, which was the Spirit being poured out. And he, having gained permission to pour out his own Spirit upon his own people because of what he had done and been accomplished with his suffering and now with his resurrection, that it wouldn't be just the, the earthly Jesus. It wouldn't be just the Spirit of the carpenter's son, Jesus. It wouldn't be the Spirit of just the one who was crucified, it wouldn't be the spirit of the one who was, who was allowed to die. But this would be the spirit of the one that death had no power to hold him. That nobody could keep him in the grave. He was raised from the grave and it was, as he would say, it was impossible for death to hold, it, hold him in his power. And it is that one, given the name that is above every other to the name, the Lord Jesus Christ. It was that one who took, who received from the Father the right to pour out his spirit into the spirits of his people. Meaning, meaning that it is now possible for you and for me to live our lives. Not just in the church house, but especially in the ordinary places of our lives. Live in those places with the living sense of the actual, literal, present Jesus. Right there. Otherwise, he could just have sent the email. Let that drop 18 inches. Let that drop 18 inches. He could have just sent the reliable email. <laughs> but his heart for you is to have access by means of his spirit alive in you, to have access to know him beyond and further than anything that could be written about him. You say, well, that sounds a little contradictory. It sounds as if we're minimizing the importance of the written word. Not at all. <laughs> We're just saying that the one who wrote the Bible desires to make himself so real in you and to you that it is as if he is there with you as you read the Bible. This is what I meant. This is what that refers to. This is who I am. I am the great I am. I, I, I did part the water. What I did for Moses, I can do for you now. Instead of it being 
but it's just a book. It's an informational, factual, good theory, all true. The Lord's saying, I want you to always be sensing my presence. So David says, I was always beholding the Lord. Now, we hit this last week, but I need to run back over it again. I was always beholding the Lord in my presence. The presence, the, the Greek word there is before my eyes, but before my face. In other words, before, in the presence of what I was looking at, I was beholding the Lord. I'm not talking about the throne in heaven, far away from trouble, far away from the devil, far away from sickness, far away from enemies. He wasn't saying, I was always beholding the Lord in his presence. He's saying, I was always beholding the Lord in my presence. I was always sensing the Lord's presence where I was, where I was standing, with who was looking at me, with what I was facing. With what didn't I didn't have enough of or what I got too much coming at me. I was always sensing the Lord's presence in my presence. As a result of that, I wasn't shaken. I wasn't shaken. Because I was always beholding the Lord in my presence. Several years ago, I was invited to go to Austin at a time when our Texas governor at that time was considering a run for the presidency of the United States, George W. Bush, our governor. I got invited with with another group of pastors to, before he had announced anything, he just wanted to meet with some men behind closed doors that he asked, and he was asking us to pray for him, to know what the will of the Lord was. He said in our hearing, I understand enough about American politics to realize that it is like taking your family into an open sewer. And I don't want to do that unless I know that it's something the Lord has called me to do. Now, I, I'm, not, I'm not going to track that to where if you, you, don't like, you didn't like George W. and you don't like George W. and you don't think he made choices. That's not, made the right choice. That, that, that's not my point. I'm just telling you what, what I was invited to do, and I can tell you this, and I don't care whether you like it or not. He, he may not have been perfect, and you wouldn't have been perfect in that job either, and I sure wouldn't have been perfect in that job, but I do believe that he was a man with a humble heart that would try to seek the Lord. And he invited us to come. And, and, and our, we, it wasn't a fundraising deal. It was just, just to be there to pray. So we met in the governor's mansion, and we were in prayer. We were praying for him and praying with him. And out of nowhere, all of a sudden, I sensed the presence of somebody else in the room. So much so that I peaked during the prayer. (laughs) And I felt like it was somebody that was just kind of right here, close, right here. And I opened my eyes and I turned and I looked. And it was George H.W. Bush, a former president not the current president, but without seeing him, I sensed somebody else was in the room. I, I, I can't tell you, we, we, we prayed, we shook hands, we, you know, all that stuff that, that we did. I came away from there with not much more 
than the sense of what I remembered when I sensed somebody else was in the room. He wasn't the president. He was a former president. We're talking here (laughs) about the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. And and, and what, what David is saying, I sensed the Lord in my presence. And because he was sensed in my presence, I wasn't shaken. I I wasn't going to be shaken because I understood that somebody more powerful, somebody with greater authority has chosen to be in my presence. He, He must not be mad at me because he's near to me. He must not be here to whip me. He must be here to support me. I was always sensing the Lord in my presence. And because of that, I wasn't shaken. And then he goes on to say, therefore my heart was glad (laughs) and my tongue Exalted. My tongue started uttering these celebratory phrases and clauses. But here, here is the point. The context is vital. The Lord will teach us some of, if not all of, the major truths about who He is and what we are to Him. He will use contrasts. Contrasts as the setting with which he teaches great truths. The reason David could say, I wasn't shaken, is first of all, because there were some things operating in his life at that point in time that could have shaken him, that could have scared him, that could have caused him to back away from what was the call of God upon his life. was also the authority of the one who was able to prevent anything or anybody from shaking. I was always beholding the Lord in my presence. Fear, remember that song? Fear, it is a liar. But the Lord is stronger. If if we're not careful, we try to take what is the truth of Scripture and we believe it is true. And we know it's true and we try to bring it into the situations in our lives where we're struggling. And it doesn't work. It won't work. As long as it is just a mental concept, as long as it is a truth, but the problem is the truth hasn't turned into life. There's a difference between truth and life. But it is by the Spirit's power. It is on the basis of the presence of the one whom David said he was always beholding. It was on the basis of that one's influence and realizing who he was, that he was free from the things in this life that would try to own him with fear. Who is it or what is it that can rob the gladness from your heart? David says, my heart was glad. He ends up that part of the psalm by saying, in your presence is fullness of joy. Thou wilt make me full of gladness with thy presence. To be filled with the spirit of Jesus 
is to be filled with his gladness. It doesn't mean that we're oblivious to whatever else is going on. The Lord is not oblivious to whatever else is going on. But at the core of who he is, there is gladness. There is joy. It's an upward surge instead of a downward slide. When this matter of being filled with the Spirit is properly understood, it means that we're filled with His Spirit to the exclusion of other spirits that would try to control us. The mood of somebody. Someday they like you. Someday they don't like you. Maybe it's just the difference between a minute or two or an hour or two. David was saying, I was always beholding the Lord in my presence. In other words, there weren't the opinions of other people, attitudes of other people that were owning his heart. His gladness was not tied to whether somebody else or everybody else felt good about him or was having a good day. Paul will say, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You, you behold the presence of the Lord. I was always beholding the presence of the Lord. That means what animates his presence is going to be ruling in my heart. To be filled with the Spirit does not mean everybody's going to like you. All opposition will have ceased. Everyone will speak well of you. It may mean, in a practical sense, just the opposite. But the bottom line to you and to me is that lateral stuff of the opinions of people, people. And I'm not, I'm talking, what are the ones around you that can affect you the quickest and the most? It's not somebody necessarily in, 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 Congo, in the Congo or in equatorial Brazil or, or someplace you've never been. <laughs> All right, now this is getting dangerous. It's getting dangerous. It'll be the ones the closest to you. But listen, if, 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 if one or the what of them own you, then their mood determines your mood. Their opinion of you determines your opinion of you. But when it is, I was always beholding the Lord in my presence. And the result of the sense of his presence, whether I can see him or not, I sense his presence. And the result of that is I'm not being shaken because I know who has all authority. I'm not being intimidated. I'm not being pushed back. I'm not being knocked around. I'm not believing lies. I will not be shaken, but then he also says, my heart, my heart's glad. They're mad as all get out at me. They walked out, stomped, shook the dust off their feet. And I'm left here in the shade of the tree. Crazy as it sounds, my heart is glad. I got to tell you this, Shirley's here this morning. Sometimes I talk about her when she's not here. That's because I don't have to clean it up at lunch, you know. But there, there was a time in, in our marriage where we, in, in this, if you, if you want to be married, just don't, don't plan on staying the same, all right? If, you, if you're going to get married, you're going to change. Do I have a witness? Say, yes, sir, yes, sir. All right. So, so we're going along here, and you know, sometimes men, and I, it, I'm going to say men, sometimes we kind of think if we're in a bad mood, then we think the whole world needs to be in a bad mood. You know, if, we, if we're down about something, we're negative about something, we just need to just spill that over on everybody else. We can walk in and just vomit this stuff into the atmosphere of our houses. So one time, I, I was in a spot. I was in a bad spot. I, I, I'm mad at her, mad at the world, mad at, you know, just, just generally just, just mad and just didn't like anything. She looked over at me. She says, I love you. I'm not planning on going anywhere. But you were in a pit, and I'm not climbing in that pit with you. But she did. 
She did. Blew, you know, blew my hat in the creek. I, I thought, oh, wait a minute now. Where's this authority? Where's this little lady coming under here? And she wasn't. She... So, so I got to thinking about it a little bit. It didn't take me long to think about it. I sold up, pouted, you know. Then I, then I got off by myself and got to realize it's pretty lonely in this pit. There's nothing to eat in this pit. I don't like this pit. She seems to be having a better spot up wherever she is. So instead of me staying here in this pit, I'm going to go where she is. Now, you, you, just, you do with that whatever you need to do with. The point is, there wasn't any gladness coming out of me. And she wasn't going to let my sour attitude, my, my pit, rob her gladness. And I needed to see what gladness looked like. I was so far in the pit. When I first saw it, it made me mad. <laughs> but then it got the dog. She went on with her, went on the rest of the day, calling the kids and saying everything going good. And I'm over here stuck in the pit. And then just had to finally realize to myself, you got to talk to yourself. Sometimes it's self, this ain't working. This isn't working. And then just to come out of it and, and I don't, want, I don't want to stay here. I want to be more where you are. You can let people own you with their attitudes. You can let them own you with their lies. You, you can let circumstances do whatever circumstances tend to do. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have hassles. You're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the, I've overcome the world. In other words, the opportunity is before us. We're going to have all kinds of presences that, that we can bow before or can inform our attitude before the presence of the negative, before the presence of the lateral, or it can be before the presence of the, the vertical. Your presence, Lord. Your presence where I am, on the basis of that I'll not be shaken, and on the basis of that, your gladness fills my heart. Now, back to the point of how he uses contrasts to teach us great truths. It's where we are in places where it can seem as if opinions of others and circumstances that have played themselves out in a negative, difficult way can affect us. It's at that place Instead of spending all our time praying, Lord, fix her, fix him, change the circumstance, the pray that's still lateral. That's still lateral. Not, that may or may not happen. But when the shift turns this way, Lord, fill me. Do you see that? Lord, fill me. David still had people hating him, trying to kill him. He still had opposition of all sorts. He was still a young man trying to prove himself to be worthy of trust. All of those things going on in Psalm 16. But he still was able to say, when I sense your presence, Lord, I got gladness in my heart. When I sense your presence, Lord, I got something to celebrate about. Nothing may change in your life. Nothing may change in your life. Circumstantially, horizontally, relationally, in a human sense. But what if with that great contrast, all of the places of lack, all of the places of you never know what kind of mood somebody's going to be in, in the place of that, the Lord is saying to you today, and nobody can pray this prayer for you, but the Lord would say to your spirit, ask me to fill you. Ask me to fill you with my presence. You talk about freedom, folks. When people can bluster, can threaten, can do whatever, or circumstances can go south on us. And it's not that we're living with our head in the ground. It's that we're living with our hearts fixed on the one who has all the control in his right hand. That we're not abandoned. We're not left. We, we, he owns our hearts. He owns our hearts. The hope that rises no matter where you're at. No matter what is going on. 
no matter what doesn't change. You see, if, if we've got gladness tied to a certain physical result, I'm going to be glad when this happens. I'm going to be glad if that happens. That is a prison. That is not freedom. What if there's another whole dimension to freedom that you've never tasted, that the Lord wanted? What if my marriage never improves? What if I'm destined to stay at this job and this assignment with this company with, with no opportunity for shifting? Is your God big enough to bring gladness to your heart, joy to your heart, a sense of satisfaction and a sense of a dream still working in you even when nothing changes. That's the point. We don't need the Holy Spirit's power to make us rejoice when everything in the natural is going right. And folks don't stay around here very long if they're looking for four steps on how to get rich, four steps on how to have a Maserati, a Mercedes, and you name it, in housing. You, 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 you chase that somewhere else. But our God is bigger than that. He's bigger than the finest cars, bigger than the most houses, bigger than all that. He's big enough even in your hut <laughs> to make you feel like you're living in a palace because of who is there with you. I was always beholding the Lord in my presence. Therefore, even if Saul's hunting me, even when things regarding his son Absalom turned as a result of David's great sin, I was always beholding the Lord in my presence. Therefore, because I sense his presence, I'm not shaken by that. I'm not shaken by the lies. I'm not shaken by the false evaluations of how great a person you are, how smart you are, how, how good you are on the basis totally of things laterally. And Paul says everything visible is temporary. The only things that are eternal are the things you can't see. The only things that last forever are the things you can't see. The only things you, that last forever are the things you can't see. So what if the Lord, because he loves us, he, he can. He, he's got different plans for different folks. He, he, can, he, he can send a billion dollars your way. He, he, can, he can have you, you to become the, you know, the, the long-lost heir of some massive fortune. And if somebody shows up on your doorstep and boom, there you are in your life. He can do that. But what if he doesn't? Has he failed you? If you drive the same Toyota to your grave, has he failed you because he didn't up bump you up to something else? Some theology, that's all we're left with. I'm tying, I'm tying my approval in God's sight. I'm tying my worth as having the ability to say something to people around me, totally tied to the physical expression in my life. Jesus would have flunked the test. Paul would have flunked the test. The, the, the 11 of the 12 that followed Jesus to their deaths, they would never have made any sermon illustration because they died penniless. But Paul would say, having nothing, <laughs> yet I possess all things. You read my lips, skeptic. You would say, it looks like I have nothing. But everything you see, everybody in a position of power in this life is temporary. They'll be gone. It'll fade. It'll dissolve like a mist. But I've anchored my soul on the one who cannot lie. And the one who has said you have a place in the Father's house because you have chosen Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And you will be with me one day. But folks, listen, even until then, even until then, some, there may be some dimensions of, of gain and loss. But what if the Lord so wants to set you free? that the things of this life and the noises even of people doesn't have the power to own you, to crush you, to push you back. 
because you were filled with the Spirit of the Lord himself who says, and he'll say it to our hearing as often as we need to hear it, whenever we need to hear it. I chose you. I bought you. I have designs for your plan for life on this earth that will include many works, Ephesians 2.10, prepared ahead of time so that you should walk in them. You just walk with me. You just follow me. You just keep trusting me. You let me own your heart, and you will not end up in any other place than the best place you'll ever end up that you ever hope for in this life. Gladness. Are you glad in your heart only when certain people are glad towards you? They own you. They own that part of you. And that is competition for the freedom that Jesus wants to bring. It doesn't mean that you won't love them. It doesn't mean you won't listen to them. But it means that whereas you used to not be able to say, no, I can't do it, I don't, I'm not going to be there. Now, because there's somebody else in the room of your heart. Lord, what do you want me to do? You got permission to say yes, and they know, but they are not God. They are not the God. They are not the God. They are not the God. God is God. Once, once that gets straight, there's freedom, and the gladness can come. Because the Lord's not one day mad and the next day sad. He's not one day high on you and the next hour not sure about you. So, emails are the presence of the one who wrote it. Emails or the author himself present in you, with you. That, that's all of why Pentecost happened. Otherwise, the copies of Scripture could, could have been printed, handed out. But the Lord wants more. He desires more. He desires more. Some would say, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. That seems a little disloyal to the written word. Okay, well, let's, let's just check. Check it from one of the writers of one of, of extreme sections of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, Ephesians chapter 1. I'm praying for you, he said. And he wrote this prayer out in the letter that he would send to them, and they would have many other topics. But here's, in the, in the beginning stage of Ephesians 1, he, he, he will say, I'm praying that the Lord will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. A spirit of wisdom and revelation, disclosing, uh, moving, moving the drapes, opening the curtains in the true knowledge of him. I'm praying that the eyes of your heart will be flooded with light so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? That's the man who wrote two-thirds of your New Testament in a human sense. But he's saying even the writing of Scripture is going to be inadequate in terms of you being able to know fully who God is and who you are and the strength of his presence. You need to know his presence. So somebody said, well, then why, why, haven't, why hasn't that happened to me? Why, 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 why are these voices still so loud? Why hasn't that happened to me, what you're talking about, preacher? All right, here's, here's, here's a possible answer. Luke eleven thirteen. 13. Know this one is in your Bible. Quoting Jesus. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who, and here's the tense, 
are asking him. Not one time a long time ago, or maybe never before, but specific, a specific prayer. The continuation of a specific prayer. Lord, I need your spirit. Fill me, Lord, with your spirit. You can have the copy of the scripture and know the truth and, and, and be amazed at many of the things that are taught there, as rightfully as we should be. There is another whole dimension to knowing your Lord than anything you or I could get on our own just by pouring over the verses of written letters on pages. And it is that he, by his Spirit, would move in, would come upon, would clothe us with power from on high, whatever scriptural reference you want to use. And the author of the book, the one who has said this is true about me, stands in your presence and convinces you that he is all-powerful, convinces you that he'll never leave you, never forsake you, convinces you that what you pray in faith, in his timing, in his way, he will bring. I was always beholding the Lord I was always sensing the Lord in my presence. He wasn't in a tabernacle. He wasn't in a synagogue. He, wherever he was, on the back of a horse, ready to command a charge into battle, holding a meeting of administrators in the kingdom, trying to figure out what to do with a wall or a septic system. I was always sensing. Get this, folks. If it was true for David, it's true for you. If it's true for David, it's true for you. If it's true for David, it's true for you. That was before Calvary. That was before the Pentecost. We lived since then. How was David so strong? How did he remain so steadfast? Where did his wisdom, where did his insight come from? It came from the one in whose presence he was always aware of. And the result of that was, there was a gladness working in his heart. You lost your gladness? <laughs> Some of those who know us the best say, mm -hmm, yep, <laughs> she did. He lost it a while back, preacher. I'm telling you, he lost it. She lost it. Then where are you getting your gladness from? What does it take to make you glad? What does it take to make you not glad? I was always beholding the Lord in my presence. The result of that was I wasn't shaken. I wasn't intimidated. I wasn't scared. Scared off. <laughs> And with the, the arrows on the boat aiming at me and the commanders of enemy forces barking orders to have me killed, I was glad because I knew in whose presence I really stood. And it was in his presence that I found my rest. It was in his presence that my hope was anchored. Not the highs and lows of the opinions or conditions of this life. I want to, I want to encourage you. Some of you are sleeping through this maybe, just sleeping through it. Just let's get through, get on, get on down to Cain's fried chicken, get us a little... Get this Sunday on the way. Get out of this preacher preaching day. Some of you may be there, but I believe there are a bunch of you that are saying, Lord, if you've got power to set me free from the ones that own my gladness, 
that I'm asking you for it. I'm asking you to fill me with your spirit. And you pray it, and you pray it, and you pray it, and you pray it, and every time this other gladness lost thing comes up, every time the contrast shows up to what you really would desire from the Lord and believe he wants to give you, you keep praying. That's the round you reload and you keep shooting and you keep shooting, keep shooting, keep shooting. Lord, fill me. 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 And I'm going to tell you this. This will happen. He will answer your prayer. Now, again, listen. He'll set you free from what your gladness is owned by. And nothing may happen there. Don't don't think I'm saying, well, you, you pray this way and everything will get fixed. I'm not saying that. In fact, I'm saying the opposite. Nothing may get fixed, but in the process, you get set scot-free. Where they can have their attitudes, blow up their stuff, make their threats. And you say, well, you're in that pit. I see you in that pit, but I ain't getting in it. And you go on with life. You go on with your day. And in the Lord's timing, he has a way of given us far more than we deserve. We know that. He, he has a way in his kindness of supplying our every need and restoring and repairing. It's just that we're not tying him to a specific result other than what he's offered, promised to do, that he'd fill us. And when he fills you, you are aware of his presence and you're being set free. And as that's going on, you're knock, knock, not knocked all over the place like a pool ball on a pool table. You can be steady, you can hold your ground. If they blow up, if they throw up, that's not the mighty fine pitch you've made for yourself, but I'm, I'm going on with my life. I'll pray for you and I'll love you, but I ain't getting in, I'm not getting in that slot. You can believe what you want to, but I know in my knower what God said about me, and that's what I choose to believe. Amen? It's a choice. 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 Now look over at the one you walked in with and just say, it's a choice. <laughs> now don't, yeah, that's all you need to do at this point. Okay. May it be. May it be. Say, say this with me. I was always beholding the Lord in my presence. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's stand together. You know, sometimes when I'm coming into these Sundays and I, and I realize you're here and I, and, I, and I know you're coming with a heart to, to listen, I, I feel very strongly that the Lord will stir in my heart to bring to you the things from his heart that he wants you to be able to just rejoice in and to embrace. We, we can go through the academic pursuit of things, and, and we, do, we need to do some of that. But, but when the Lord is saying to his people, I want you to know me. I want you to feel my presence in your life, wherever you are. I don't want you to lock me up in the Bible. I don't want you to leave me in the front seat of your car or in the, on your bed, bed stand. I want you to understand that you can't lock me up. That where you are, I am but I want you to ask me to fill you so that you'll know my presence, so that you'll sense my presence. And once that happens, you're not going to be banged around like a ping pong ball. There'll be stability to you. There'll be, 
There'll be strength. You won't be intimidated. But then it'll also come a gladness to your heart. Gladness. In my presence is gladness. So when you know that and somebody else is trying to dominate you and, and they're just mean, you're, the magnet inside your heart is going to go toward gladness and have an aversion to meanness. That helps us to stay drawn in his presence. Lord, I, I just ask you, we ask you, we look to you, we look full in your wonderful face, and we ask you, Lord, to make your presence known more and more and more to us in the days of our lives, Lord, throughout the day. Lord, may it be true of us as it was of David. I was always aware of the Lord's presence. And because of that, I wasn't shaken. Words didn't move me. Threats didn't move me. Circumstances, I was, wasn't shaken. And my heart is glad. Thank you, Lord, for what you want to do. May we walk out of here, even though our physical arms may be down by our side, may we be walking out of here with our spiritual arms just up, lifted, both hands wide open. Lord, fill me, Lord, fill me, Lord, fill me, Lord, fill me, Lord, fill me. And as we pray that, we're understanding, we're praying, Lord, set me free. Set me free from those who try to own our gladness and things that try to own our gladness. In Jesus' name, amen.